Welcome to the Therapeutic Food Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Marion Mitchell. I'm an integrative nutrition health coach, therapeutic diet expert, and founder of The Road to Living Whole. There are many different diets out there. It's hard to know which one is right for you with your chronic illness and autoimmune disease. In this podcast, I'm going to share with you the foundational pieces every single therapeutic diet out there shares, and also how to use the best one for your particular diagnosis. If you've been looking for a meal planning partner, help navigating the complicated healthcare system, and want to feel better quickly, I'm your girl. Grab your kombucha notebook, let's dive in. Candida. Is it a made-up problem with people selling you snake oil, or is it a legitimate problem with real treatment options? These are great questions, honestly. There's a lot of information out there supporting both sides, and it is confusing. To help clear up the confusion, I asked Dr. Michael Biamonte to come back onto the podcast and talk to us about all things candida. If you're new to the podcast, he first joined me in episode 57, where we talked about the side effects of medication and how they can make you feel worse. After we got done recording, I asked him if he would come back and talk to us about this topic. Dr. Biamonte, thank you so much for coming back and talking with me again. Oh, it's my absolutely my pleasure. I'm so excited. Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners who are meeting you for the first time? Sure. I'm a certified clinical nutritionist in the state of New York. I have a naturopathic degree, and I'm also one of the members of the Scientific Council of the IAACN, which is the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists. So I'm one of the people who writes the questions on the tests that people take in order to become a certified licensed nutritionist. It's kind of a unique perspective. I love it. It's so cool. You are so knowledgeable, and you've actually written a book. My book is the Candida. Yes, the Candida Chronicles, and why I call it the Candida Chronicles is because it chronicles my journey of understanding. First meeting with Candida in the um, in the eighties, middle to late eighties, um, personally, and then going through how to treat it. And it's it's interesting because Candida is a very tricky thing to deal with. It's it's not very plain and simple. It's an organism which everyone has in their intestinal tract. Candida is a sort of a cross between a fungus and a yeast. It can change itself back and forth between fungus and yeast, which the term for that is dimorphic, which means to live in two different states. And it does that to protect itself so that it stays alive. And candida can become very resistive easily to medications or herbs or anything that you do to try to kill it. So when you're dealing with it and you're trying to get rid of it, it makes it very tricky. So that's why I say I, it chronicles my journey towards um, learning about candida and then learning finally how to handle it correctly. Yeah, I, I've read it and I think it's a fantastic book. I actually told you I read it like three times because there's just, I get more out of it every time I read it. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm like, oh, I didn't even see that he talked about this last time. And there's just so much to learn. Uh, today, I want to walk people through, you know, we we talked about what candida overgrowth is, right? So can like you said, candida is always in there, but the problem is when it overgrows, right? And yes. I feel like that's something... I feel like that's something people don't really know. They just hear, oh, I have candida, you know, and they just want to get rid of it. But really, it's about getting it back into balance, right? Yeah. Most people by now have heard about a biome. 
system. We have our own in like a biome, which is the balance of, of organisms in your intestinal tract, good versus bad. And theoretically, candida is part of your normal biome, but it's a subdominant organism. It's, a, it's an organism which is not major. It plays a minor role. The problem is, is when it's the um, balance there gets upset and then it starts to grow and becomes dominant because it's a pathogen when it overgrows and it releases all types of harmful chemicals into your body. It produces alcohol in your body. So a lot of people who suffer with, with candida feel like they're constantly drunk. And that depends on the type of um, the strain of candida they have and their diet. If you happen to have a strain of candida that produces a lot of alcohol and you're eating a lot of sugar and starch, you're giving it the candida things to ferment and then release alcohol upon. So interesting. Um, so now that we've talked about that candida is normal, but when it becomes overgrown is when we have a problem. What leads to candida overgrowth? What are some things that contribute to this problem? Well, essentially, there's only one thing, ultimately, is it's anything that disturbs your intestinal flora balance. And then to be more specific, anything that kills your friendly bacteria in your intestines. And when we say friendly bacteria, we're referring to the probiotics. And by, and by now, everyone's heard of probiotics. There are commercials you know, on about them. So anything that kills the, the probiotics, which are supposed to be there and are supposed to be the main guys in charge, that then allows the candida to start to grow and multiply and get out of control. Now that could be certain. That could be. Let's if we look at this. Anything that disturbs the balance. So it could be having surgery. It could be getting into an accident, which is a shock on the body. It could be too many antibiotics, too many steroids, too many different types of hormones. It could be too many antacids because antacids disturb the balance of your intestinal flora. Could be chemotherapy which also does that. Um, it, so it's literally anything that will disturb that intestinal balance. Even if you happen to go to a, a, a pool and you swallow too much chlorinated water, you'd have the same thing. It would disturb the balance of the bacteria. So those are individual examples of what ha what could happen. But, but literally, it's anything that would be able to disturb your bacteria balance that would cause candida. That is, that's so good to know. I love that you don't really place an emphasis on any one thing. I feel like people are always looking for like a magic bullet, right? But usually it's like a combination of things. Often. Well, think about it. Some Someone gets into an accident, they end up in the hospital. What's the first thing they have put on? Antibiotics. Antibiotics. So yep. you'll find that some of these things come in, in combinations too, for that right. reason. Yeah, I can't think of how many times I've encountered people that were like fine and then something traumatic happens and then their mm -hmm. health just kind of spirals out of control from there. Can we talk about some of the symptoms that candida overgrowth gives people? And then we'll probably talk about like, you know, how to explore testing and talking to your doctor about it and things like that. So the first thing people will notice when they develop candida is they have fatigue. And it's usually fatigue that's accompanied by cognitive issues. It's like suddenly they don't remember names or they don't, they're starting to forget things. They walk in the room and they say, why did I walk in the room? And if they never had that before, it occurs kind of suddenly with the fatigue. And what's happening at that point is the candida is draining their immune system. It's st stressing their immune system, which stresses your adrenal glands. So the fatigue starts to come in. And then the various toxins the candida produces are neurological. 
not only alcohol, but there are other neurological toxins and mycotoxins. So that affects your your brain and your nervous system, and you know, it could affect your memory. That is so interesting. Everybody always thinks about bloating or constipation or diarrhea or heartburn or, you know, things like that. But the fact that it's more neurological, I think, for one, I think it answers questions like, why am I feeling this way? You know, my blood work is normal and mm-hmm. they're they're saying there's nothing wrong with me. I actually have a, a client this week who was like, yeah, like I got this initial blood work and it looked like I had all these things wrong. And I was so excited to have answers. And then my I went to my regular PCP and they said, I'm fine. And it's all in my head and I just need to get more sleep having a baby. But she's like, and I'm just so tired and I don't have a memory. And she's like, and I just, she's like, I'm so devastated that I don't have an answer. Well, as an example there, when you're pregnant, your estrogen levels rise. And it's very common. High estrogen is one of the things that also causes candida. And one of the things we ask women who have chronic vaginal infections is where in their cycle does it flare up usually? And most of the time it flares up when they're premenstrual, which is when their estrogen's rising. So that that could explain that. But yes, the um, the fatigue and the memory problems are group one. Group two are the digestive problems that start to occur. Typically with candida, person will become bloated, gassy, and constipated. The reason why constipation is because candida likes an alkaline pH in your intestines. And when your intestinal tract swings very alkaline, everything slows down and you become constipated. A good way um, to sort of remember this is that alkalinity and cold are similar. They slow things down and heat and acidity speed things up. So more typically, the person becomes constipated. Sometimes people with candida develop diarrhea. and But those are the people who have candida with a certain group of bacteria or protozoa, where the combination then will cause diarrhea. But it's more common that they'll, if in the more pure case, they'll become constipated. And then you could also get GERD from, from candida, which is something that initially I didn't know. It took, took me a while to discover that. And how I discovered it was just by listening because I had patients with severe GERD and they told me, gee, you know, I got on the your candida treatment and my GERD went away. So I didn't know that until I, I, I heard it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So these digestive upsets are kind of the second group of things that start to occur. That's so interesting. I know so many people who struggle with that and nothing helps, mm-hmm. you know. That's, uh, I love that. And I also love how connected the body is. Like it's not just isolated or any one thing, but just, and what I also love is that you listen to your patients. I, you know, just being able to be heard Mm -hmm. is so huge when it comes to care. And I don't feel like people feel heard enough in the medical world. It's a terrible thing when um, doctors, and it's, it's unfortunately, particularly medical doctors have a reputation of being very dogmatic and they don't listen to the patient because they're God and blah, blah, blah. And I and I, you're overlooking a tremendous education right there. You, the free education is right, at, right in the doctor's office, sitting in the chair in front of him. If you listen to the patient and you assume the patient, what he's telling you is true, first off. You assume it's true. Now you have to figure out why. I love that. It's not that you, it's not that you listen to the patient. He tells you X, Y, and Z, and you figure out what drug he needs to take. Because he doesn't have a drug deficiency. He's got, he has an imbalance there that's causing in his body. There's a reason for everything that happens. And in the body, there's a reason why certain things happen. And 
there's a cause and you've got to find the cause. You don't want to cover up the symptom. That's the major to get this gets into a tangent, but that's the difference philosophically with um, my my particular discipline as opposed to straight med- regular medical doctors. They're they're taught there are no cures for anything. If you go to different states, it's actually illegal in certain states for you to claim that you can cure certain diseases. It's illegal. Right. And it goes back to the old joke. There's two, there's two rules. First, you don't kill the patient because if you kill the patient, now you've lost the patient. Second, you don't cure him because if you cure the patient, now you're losing the income of him buying the medication that's going to maintain his set of symptoms. Yeah. So let's explore that a little bit more because in your book, you talked about a conversation you had with an allopathic doctor about candida. And I, you know, in my years of working with clients and talking with doctors of all allopathic and, and, um, naturopathic and all, you know, all of that chiropractic, a lot of times, and even in medical, like if you look up WebMD, if you look up candida and stuff, it's like, it's dismissed. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because I feel like a lot of people are going to be like, wow, like they're going to look into it and they're going to be like, this really sounds like me. So they're going to go to their doctor and then their doctor is going to be like, that's not a thing. Yes. And you can't blame the doctor on one half, but let's look at the other half of the story. How I discovered Candida was listening to patients, telling me their symptoms and looking at their lab work. And luck, luckily enough, I had, had come into contact with a few labs very early on that legitimately could tell me if the person had an overgrowth of candida. So that's the first rule is that when you're talking about candida, you're talking about overgrowth. You're not talking about its presence because everyone has candida. It's normal to have some. We're only concerned with when it overgrows and becomes too overly populated. And at that point, it produces certain symptoms which the early books on Candida, Dr. Truss and all those those early pioneers, they were great at documenting all these symptoms that people with Candida had. So if you have a test in front of you that says this person has too much Candida, and then you have the person telling you all these symptoms that match up with what we learned in these early books, you have one of two choices. Either you look at it and you believe it, or you say, no, it can't be true. And if you were a medical doctor prescribing antibiotics, I don't know what, what that you'd be in a great hurry to embrace this whole subject, because first of all, you've probably caused candida in thousands of people by giving them antibiotics indiscriminately. So if you want to start looking at it legally now, if all these people were to get together and have a, a sharp, really sharp lawyer, they can start a lawsuit against doctors and, and drug companies like crazy. If you could say, well, this is a side effect of these antibiotics and here you guys did it. This guy lost his job. This one ended up in a mental institution. This, this had a miscarriage, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's not something they are going to really want to embrace from a liability standpoint. The second thing to be, to be aware of is candida is not easy to treat. Medical doctor is used to spending five minutes with a patient. You see, you can't do that with candida because the patients have too many questions. They have questions about diet. They have questions about the medicines they're going to take. About It goes on and on and on. You, you can't dismiss a patient in five minutes who has candida and give them a prescription and have them go out the door. So if a medical doctor was going to actually take this up and make this part of his practice, he's going to have to hire somebody in his practice 
who's going to handle the candida patients. He's a, it's going to be some type of a nutritionist that's going to go over the diet and go over the whole protocol. He doesn't have time to do it. So that's that's another salary. That's 50 to 100,000 a year. That makes a lot of sense. Which is another reason why I'm a big fan of cash pay. <laughs> Cuz you get you they they have the time to listen. Mm-hmm. And also the time to research, right? Yes. And are able to really dive into that. Because, I mean, there are some, you know, I would say I they're now called functional medicine doctors, right? Where they're trained allopathically and then they, di- they dig deeper and realize they want to give the quality care to their patients. So they become cash pay as well. And they typically call themselves functional medicine doctors. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it really just takes a, a person who cares and is willing to listen and to find out how to make that economical for them. And and then also to go to all the weekend seminars where they learn the material is the second part, because they didn't learn this in medical school. The average doctor in medical school, I think he spends, what was it? I think they said it was a total of five hours on nutrition. Yep. And most of it was um, split be- between geriatric and um, obstetrician needs so they it's not they don't study diet or health from the standpoint of um improving someone's life and it's 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 in terms of meeting those these needs we're talking about so it's a whole different viewpoint um okay so then back to our if we get back to our main thread the next group of symptoms they're going to start hitting on are going to be um what what we would refer to as symptoms that also occur in leaky gut there there's um there's you could actually draw concentric circles at this point of their the advancement of their problem between multiple illnesses that are all correlated like because candida causes leaky gut the person now starts to perhaps um demonstrate these symptoms of leaky gut which primarily are very very poor chemical tolerance they can't tolerate cigarette smoke perfume things like this um, out of the patient once, this, this was an interesting line. Patient told me, well, I don't really go out anymore. Yeah, I used to go to this pub down the block. I don't go anymore. And I don't go anymore because I can't handle the cigarette smoke or the, the perfumes and things. So I said, okay, well, how much did you drink? And he says, well, that's another thing. I, I can't go to the pub anymore because I can't drink. I take one drink and I'm, uh, you know, the, the next day I have three hangovers. So <laughs> these, these are the with a leaky gut condition, you're going to, your alcohol tolerance drops. You can't handle cigarettes. You can't walk down the aisle in the supermarket where all the cleaning solutions are. You start to develop a lot of food allergies, a lot of airborne allergies. And the person will also notice that they start to become particularly reactive in their joints. Like they have rheumatoid arthritis can get set off by leaky gut or just arthritic symptoms in general are very common with leaky gut. So that that's bringing us to a higher level now, higher level of advancement. Uh, eventually, the worst scenario for the person with candida is that they become what we we called a, a while ago the universal reactor, where they literally can, they can't work, they can't go out and hold down a job or even go to school because if they go out of their environment, they're so chemically sensitive. And nowadays, people are referring to this as mast cell activation problems, and it's being talked about like it's something new which it's uh, doctors who who treat candida or fibromyalgia or conditions like that have been dealing with mast cell issues uh, since the seventies. 
So it's not anything new with what's happening with, as far as that. Well, we've definitely learned about new ways to deal with it and more about the pathways. But it's all triggered eventually by, by candida or some under, underlying dysbiosis. Dysbiosis means the, the imbalance of bacteria in the intestinal tract. That's what's setting it all off in the first place. I love that you talk about that because yeah, mast cell activation syndrome is becoming a thing and I'm seeing more and more clients coming to me for help, like with the diet and lifestyle side after they see their doctor and get that. But, and I always try to make sure that they know that that's a symptom and -hmm. not a diagnosis. It's not, you know, it's a symptom. And I, I love that we're talking about different categories of this because I feel like it really puts it in perspective. Um, Also, hopefully as we continue this conversation, gives them an idea of what they can expect in in treatment and length of treatment and things like that as well. Um, okay. Well, if you, if you go to your doctor, you can expect nothing usually. <laughs> right. If the doctor, you're, you're going to hear this, the standard answers. Well, there's, I don't, there's no such thing as, as one or everyone has it. You know, those are some of the same, not really going to expect much. If you go to somebody who knows what they're doing, then he'll, they'll most likely map out what their protocol or approach is. I'm, I'm always going with the assumption and this is, I need to work on this myself is that, you know, we've, they're going to go to a, a, a doctor who's well-versed and it is my hope, um, you know, and so, you know, if this is something that you are concerned about, you know, make sure you do your research and, you know, maybe Dr. Biamonte will be able to help you or hopefully you'll know what kind of questions to ask if you call and interview some of these functional medicine or naturopathic doctors, depending on what state you're in. Let's talk about the progression now. So they have these symptoms. Where do they where do they go from here? Let's say let's assume that they're going to go to a doctor who's well versed and it knows how to treat it. What what can they expect? Well, the first thing I would I always suggest they do is they sit down and they look at their history and their own timeline to get it straight. So then when they go to the doctor and they present all this, it makes sense. So they they usually want to look for a they want to go to a point before they had these complaints, and then come up, come up the timeline, and they want to look for where the this may have started, knowing that there are these different symptoms and these symptoms can occur in stages. They start looking for the symptoms and pinpoint where it may have happened, and it could have been something as simple as when they were uh, a child and they were being treated for acne with antibiotics that it developed over that period of time. It could have been a, a, a very rough, difficult pregnancy that they had. It could have been an accident that they were in, where they had they were in the hospital, they had to take antibiotics for quite some time. So you want to kind of try to find out where this thing may have started. Like we had a patient the other day who had a, a um, an, an issue where she had a appendix which burst. And we were able to trace back her candida started after the appendix burst, which makes sense. So, so you want to try to find where this occurred and then lay out for the doctors, the symptoms as they occurred after that point, that that makes it easy for him because you're really giving him a lot of evidence there, empirical evidence that you have the problem. So now what should happen is he should test you. And there's, there's different tests that, that can be done. They can do a blood test and look for the antibodies for candida. They can do the oats test, which is a urine test that looks for the organic acids from candida. They can do a stool test, and they can try to look for either dead yeast under the microscope, or they will try to culture live yeast. 
And if it's a DNA, that one of the newer DNA stool tests are looked for DNA of candida. So you want to do some type of test so that you can primarily establish a starting point of your illness. It's not so much that you want to do the test necessarily to document that you do have it, because common sense could come into play here. But it's more for, for to establish the scientific method, because the, a scientific method essentially is you find something, you fix it, you go back to make sure it's fixed. So you do a test, you find out the candida is there, you have the test and it has your candida reading. Then you go on whatever the handling is that's going to fix it. And then at some point you come back and do the test again now to confirm it's gone. That, that would be a very simple, basic scientific process. I love that you made it sound so simple and straightforward. Like that's just really great. I feel like sometimes it can feel like this overwhelming, complicated process. And I feel like the other thing people run into is they just want to feel better tomorrow. Like they like we're so used to a pill for every ill. And like if we're really sick, they do give us that antibiotic and we feel better, you know, in a few days, hopefully. And so, or, you know, we're just used to being sick and then getting better within a few days, right? Like normally we're sick for three days, five days, seven days, you know, maybe we'll have a cough for a couple of weeks, but then it gets better. And, you know, when it comes to something like this, it might not be that straightforward, but knowing that there's a straightforward process, I think it can ease a lot of mind. Yeah. That's, that's a process you can trust because it's, it's very simple and it, it ends up with you knowing that the problem is gone. So now theoretically, if you you go to the doctor presenting these symptoms, it's confirmed you have candida, he treats you for it, you go back, the candida's gone. Whatever symptoms you, you still have can be from something related to candida, which you didn't test for or necessarily address, or it could be something totally different. It may have nothing to do with candida at this point. But that's but at least you have your bases covered so you know what direct because the whole idea is understanding what direction you're going to go in based on the data you have. If you have candida and the candida is handled, but yet you still have Hashimoto's, could be because you still have leaky gut. You haven't handled the leaky gut, you've handled the candida. So then if you handle the Hashimoto, you handle the leaky gut and the Hashimoto's is still there, now you've got to look for mercury toxicity or copper toxicity or some other kind of chemical toxicity in your body that's setting off that autoimmune reaction, which we call Hashimoto's. So using that as a little microcosm, then, you know, when candida is gone, you know, whatever's left is not from candida. It is. It's really, I, I think that's really helpful. I work a lot with people who have chronic health issues. So usually we, you know, one gets resolved and they feel better, but there's still something left. And so it's a progress, right? Progression. Right. It goes back to the concentric circles I was talking about, where you'll get certain disease clusters that have certain things in common that are not a name of a disease. They're an actual abnormality, a deficiency, an excess of toxicity in your body that's generating it all. Okay, so you got one aspect of it, but now you got you got to pull that root that's causing the whole thing to evolve. Yeah, absolutely. My next question is, you know, we, we had talked about this before we went live where like being able to treat it properly, like if you, is there is there one herb or one, pill that you can take at for three months and then the candida is gone. I f let's, can we talk about that just a little bit to kind of give people an idea of what to expect when it comes to treatment? Sure. And this is typically what people will run into, which is why 
they um, sometimes end up on these journeys of 10 years or so, bouncing from one doctor to the next. The first thing I learned about candida, which made me more successful in handling it than others, is that candida is very mutative. And uh, uh, it, it genetically flips or switches when it's been exposed to the same medication for too long. Because I would hear... Um, I, I would hear this story all the time that we actually turned into a brief video on my website where the person would come in and she said, well, I went to the doctor. He said I had candida. That was, that's what was wrong. I read about it. It made sense. He put me on the treatment and I felt wonderful for, for a few months. And then all of a sudden, all the symptoms started to come back. And then he raised the dose of the medicine and then it came back even harder. So what happens is when person the person gets into the magic um the magic treatment the magic one pill approach they're causing their candida to mutate and become drug resistive not only against that drug but of multiple things when candida or any bacteria becomes drug resistive it's not only resistive against that one medicine it's been exposed to but it could be resistive against multiple things so they've made a super strain essentially and the way I handled that in my treatment is I rotate the medicines. Just arbitrarily, we take four different herbs or four different candida medicines, and we have the person switch them around every four days or every week to make sure that the, the candida can't mutate against it. And that's something they're very unlikely to hear from the doctor who's treating them, because most doctors have gone in to the, the approach of um, what the drug company's telling them, you give you take niastatin for three months or whatever the medicine is. And unfortunately, a lot of the vitamin companies are just as guilty with their protocols. They'll give the person the combination of uh, berberine, powdarko, oregano oil or something in one pill. And their, their think is to take this for a few months or as long as you have to, to get the, and, but they're not thinking with the fact that it mutates. And after the three months, the candida levels may be lower, but now what's what you have that's lower is super strain, which in a few months is now going to come back. It's going to come roaring back at you. And that pill that you're taking, that this herbal candida pill is not going to work anymore. That's so good to know. And I think it's going to be very helpful for the the other doctors that are listening to this. Um, and then also for patients and their expectations of like, it's not just one pill that there, it, it, it takes a nuanced approach and to make sure you take things the way your doctor tells you. So I feel like a lot of times we are all somewhat bad patients who kind of take things into our own hands, um, especially when we're researchers and we're doing, oh, well, if I take this, this will help. And if I, you know, add this in and we kind of go rogue. The other thing I want to talk about, this makes me think about people that do candida diets in lieu of treatment. They feel like, oh, food can resolve this. I just need to eat their certain way. Can we talk about that? I've been doing this since 1989. And in all that time, I've never had a patient who told me they went on a candida diet strictly, who actually had their candida levels stably go back to normal. And the reason for that is because candida is a living organism and it's a plant actually. And as a plant, it grows roots and the roots that it grows look for your little blood vessels to tap into, to get glucose, to keep it alive. So if you went on a fast and you ate nothing, 
your body is still breaking down your muscle tissue and converting it into glucose to keep your glucose levels normal in your blood. So as long as you're alive, the candida will remain alive at some, at some level. Then when you go off the fast and you start to eat freely again, the candida is just going to munch away and come back to its former, former self. This is why diet doesn't work. What diet does is diet assists the medicines. When, when you take the diet, you're weakening the candida, and that's making it easier for the medicines to kill it. But it's impossible for these reasons that I just stated for a, a candida diet really to kill it. I love that you put it in that perspective. That's actually my approach to my therapeutic diets. I always tell people this is in addition to treatment. This is to help the treatment. It can never replace it, um, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to candida and you know mold and other conditions. Like it just helps. It's a it, it's a it's a piece of the healing puzzle. It is. It cannot be the end all be all. It very rarely ever is, right? Especially when it comes to something you know, especially complex, you know, when you have multiple things going on, food helps, but it is never the end all be all. And um, it's actually one of my missions in my, in my business and in my coaching is that people really understand that this is just a step, that mm -hmm. it's not the end all be all. So I'm really, really glad we're talking about that. Cause I know people who have been on, you know, a candida diet and there's so many different ones out there. Some are more or less restrictive. Some really focus on nutri nutrients and making sure you're getting the nutrients you need. Some just kind of, I feel like take everything out and take everything away from you. And people are suffering for years, you know, trying to say, oh, well, they just said, if I eat this diet, it's going to get better. When, when it comes to something like this, it's not. And most, well, most health problems, it, it won't, it's a start, but it can't be your only treatment option. Well, there's, there's no, there are very few foods that I'm aware of that actually can kill candida. Garlic is one. Arguably, onions might be another. And then arguably, there are certain other herbs and roots, which we make medicines out of, which you could argue would be eaten as foods, which could kill candida. But in general, there's no diet that can kill candida because it's a fungus. It's a living thing. And the diet would have to be a germicidal diet. It would have to be a diet of many things that are antimicrobial. So there isn't any, because people will say, well, can I eat this? Is this one food? Is this good to eat for candida? Well, it's not, it's not really a point of that. It's when it comes to candida, what you don't eat is more important than what you do, because you don't want to eat the, anything that has the potential of further imbalancing your flora. And you don't want to eat anything which possibly could serve as food for the candida. So when it comes to a candida diet, those are more of the um, of what's important. But then you'll have the foods that the person with candida can tend to be allergic to. And that's where the, you then get into all the variations on the candida diet. And, and it's really funny because I've spoken to so many people, so many, so many people who do YouTube videos and um who've written books about candida because they've come to me as patients. And I've asked them, how did, so how did you arrive at your candida diet that you're publicizing? Well, this is basically what worked for them. So they don't know any better. What other resource, if you think about it, what other resources did, did, would a person like this have? He has no other resources really. So the only thing he can do is go by his own empirical experience of what worked for him. But of course that's not going to work for everybody because we're all, we're all biologically unique. Right. 
I'm really glad we're diving into this. Another thing I want to talk about a little bit that you talked about in your book are the vitamins and minerals and how candida, you know, can make you further deficient, but also how you can keep feeding it. Um, I think that that's um, really important too, especially for those people who are in the, you know, diet and supplements and like they, they want to treat it that way. But I feel like it was, my mind was blown reading this section. Um, and I think that a lot of our listeners are going to appreciate the information too. So can we dive into that a little bit? Sure. And the best example of this is iron. Probably the best example. If you start to read the um, pharmac pharmacological actions of certain antifungal drugs, you quickly will learn that some antifungal prescription drugs work specifically by blocking candida's ability to absorb iron. Others work by blocking the candida's ability to absorb vitamin D. But particularly with iron, it's very typical when we do hair analysis on patients with candida that you see very low tissue iron. And this is because the candida acting as a parasite is actually sucking up that person's iron. Yet, if you supplement them with iron to try to make up for that, the candida spreads because now you're feeding it the iron more directly. So it's an interesting catch-22 situation that the per person ends up in. And the ultimate solution is just get rid of the candida. Stop messing around and get rid of the candida. Can I interrupt you for a second? This made me think oh, sure. of a patient, uh, a client I had in the last couple of years. I've had a few that have gotten iron infusions and one in particular it didn't make her feel better at all. And she got so much, her symptoms got so much worse after the infusion and she couldn't figure out why. And I feel like, and then I'm like, oh, like, you know, that could very possibly be a reason. And she'd been, she'd had a lot of health problems, a lot of medication, you know, complex chronic illness there. But I think she had been at Mayo for like 15 years and finally went the naturopathic route. So there was a lot, a lot going on. Wow. She'd been on high dose steroids for years, you know, all of that stuff that we talked about. And so I feel like, you know, this, she's not going to be the only one that goes through this. Right. You know, this, this is definitely an aha moment where you have to say, aha, well, here it is. That's, <laughs> that is the reason right there. And then when you go through the other nutrients, there's basically two groups of nutrients. There's the group of nutrients which directly will feed candida and make it spread. And that would include copper, calcium, iron, vitamin D, coenzyme Q10, and the B vitamins. All of these nutrients I've, I've tested or I have, I have literature on from other third-party tests, which actually feed the candida. They accelerate its metabolism and will make it spread. Then we have the, the other group, which are protective which are essentially any antioxidant. So if you're taking high doses of antioxidants while you're taking antifungals, you're inhibiting the action of the antifungal. Very simply is most medicines that kill uh, bad organisms work by producing oxidative stress against the membrane of the organism. And when you take high amounts of antioxidants, you're reducing that effect. So you're reducing the effect of the medicine. 
That's so good to know. It reminds me of, you know, as people are going on their health journey, um, a lot of times you start with, oh, I need this vitamin. This vitamin is going to give me energy. This vitamin is going to do this, you know, and people are taking, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of supplements. And then eventually they go, well, where can I get this from food? And then eventually it's like, okay, there's something actually wrong. I need to figure out what's going on in there on these years of doctor, doctor hopping until they get an answer. Mm. Right. But it is nuanced information like this, like how many people are like, oh, I need to take antioxidants. I, you know, I have all this inflammation. I'm, you know, I have all this stuff going on from the leaky gut, right? Their joints are inflamed. They're in pain. Right. They got brain fog. So they're like, I need B vitamins for energy and I'm getting my B12 injections and, you know, things like that. And we're actually, you know, unknowingly, even if we're getting the proper treatment, inhibiting the treatment because of things like this. And it's, it's and it's, it's not typical. This would not be a typical thing that I would talk about. It's unique to candida. It doesn't necessarily happen in other conditions where you have to tell people, well, you shouldn't take these vitamins. That, that wouldn't be typical. But in for candida, it is because candida is a separate, is a separate um, life station within your body that has its own programming and has its own deal that it's doing separate from you. I'm really so. glad we talked about that because it does not apply to every condition. I feel like people have a tendency to say, oh, well, if it's bad for this and it's bad for everything. That's what we want to avoid because it's not true. It's not true. Um, yeah. I also think about that with SIBO. A lot of times people have been dealing with it for a lot of years. This is one thing I'm very well versed in. And I what I see a lot of is people you know, applying what was what worked when they were sick to when they're healthy. And it's like, no, if the candida is gone, you can resume normal, mm -hmm. healthy living, not your normal standard American diet and standard American things, but a healthy diet, you, you know, you should be able to resume that after treatment, you know, and, uh, you know, if that means we need to, to move on to a gut healing, you know, and just being extra focused on, you know, healing the intestinal lining, but eventually you should still get back to normal, healthy mm -hmm. eating at the point. So you're not going to live in a candida lifestyle diet forever. A lot of people like to live there because they feel better. But it's like, no, you're supposed to progress. You're supposed to get better. This is one of those things that you're supposed to progress and get better. And some people are just so paranoid that the candida is not really gone. And can you blame them if they've been dealing with it for 10 years? No, no, you can't. You know, they'll, yeah. they'll make little forays out there and try different things. And they're thrilled when they can try it and, you know, they don't get sick from it or it doesn't bring back those old familiar feelings. But yet they're, they're not going to go cross over the line completely. And as you're saying, that's something they, they are free at that point. Candida is gone. And if the candida is gone, then the next thing you have to do is clean up the mess that it makes. I'm, I'm glad we're talking about that. That's, that's the, the thing that we find probably the one most common thing, the, mo the one the com most common thing we find in patients with candida is adrenal exhaustion. Everybody who has candida comes out the other end with exhausted adrenals. The only other thing I could say that might be um, almost up to the rate of expectation would be some type of uh, metal toxicity. And normally it would be copper or mercury, as you would find. And the person who really had candida chronically for a long time, they'll have um, mercury, copper, or both. Is if you have to remember if they if they're obtaining these elements and they have both, the chances the chances of having both elements are not that high. 
unless your amalgams are leaking because amalgams, mm. many of the amalgams that were made in the 60s and 70s were zinc, mercury, copper alloys. They've changed, companies changed the, uh, the uh, alloys here and there, but essentially it was copper and mercury. So if you have copper toxicity or mercury toxicity or together, that would be one of the things you need to handle as soon as the candida is gone. Now, we're going to get a flood of questions. My doctor said that if I don't get rid of the toxic metals, the candida will never go away. Well, theoretically, he's right. The problem is when you try to detoxify somebody of metals who has candida, you're looking at a situation like throwing gasoline on a fire. And I learned this all the hard way. I learned this from having patients come to me who said, you know, I went to Dr. So-and-so, who's very famous, by the way, and he started to do the metal to the metal detox, and I just couldn't handle it. My candida symptoms went crazy. So that this is why I prefer to get the candida under control first, and then I assess the metal problem, and then we work on the metal problem. And when you're detoxing somebody from metals, it's very, very important, regardless of what type, type of chelation you use, that you have um, substances which will bind the metal and prevent reabsorption. Otherwise, you just get the metal moving to a different part of the person's body. You're, you're bringing it out of compartmental storage in one area, and it's going to get dumped someplace else, and they're, they're not getting anywhere. I'm really glad you talked about that. Because that's yeah, they're going to run into that. We're talking, I guess our theme here is what are they going to run into? Yes. They're going to run into this. If they have heavy metals, they're going to find the doctor who's going to say, well, that's the first thing we have to handle. And the odds are is it's going to make them feel so bad they won't be able to complete the treatment. And then they'll end up at another doctor, and now it's going to be another story. So right off the bat, you want to try to get the candida under control as best you can first. And then when you do a, a toxic metal program, make sure the metal program has some type of substance, and there's there's plenty of them out there nowadays, that bind the metals so you don't reabsorb them. Very important. Otherwise, you just perpetuate the problem. And then after that point, it's going to be addressing their adrenals, usually their adrenals and their thyroid, because many candida affects the thyroid so badly that I started a website called the New York City Thyroid Doctor, where we, we handle thyroid problems. And a lot of the people who come to that website, we find out have candida. So here we go again with the concentric circles I talk about. They, the problems overlap. Candida has a very bad effect on the adrenals because of the stress it creates on the body. And from an, um, immunology, um, an immunological viewpoint, it seems to have a particular affinity to beat up on your thyroid gland. It's so interesting. I just, I, it's like mind blowing how it all works. You wouldn't think that an overgrowth of, you know, a fungus in your gut would, would beat up your thyroid. You know, now, there are doctors out there who swear there's no such thing as any thyroid disease. It's all candida. And I don't know if I would go that far, but I've seen enough cases to understand why they say that. But thyroid and adrenal really have to be addressed. And then when you look at that, well, what, what are you looking at here? Well, with the adrenals, you're looking at your ability to handle stress and you're looking at your energy to a degree. And then with thyroid, you're also looking at your energy, but more importantly, you're also looking at your ability to detoxify. Because one of the things that's very often overlooked is the fact that T4 and T3 are very important components in stimulating hepatic detoxification. And now another argument in there is bifidus bacteria. Bifidus is very essential for hepatic detoxification. So if you take somebody who has candida, that pretty much means their bifidus is very compromised. 
how can you expect their liver to detoxify correctly with improper flora if you if you understood this most people don't know this aspect but if you study bifidus bacteria then there's a great book called bifidus bacteria and its role by crv press if you study this and you see how important bifidus bacteria is to your liver's ability to detoxify it kind of would take off the table you wanting to do all kinds of detoxes on people until you get their flora back to normal. I'm really glad you talk about that because we we're in January. Everybody's doing these three day juice detoxes and like all these different things. And I'm always like, uh, can your liver handle that? Like, have you built up to a place where you're lowering your toxic load that comes in every day and you have the nutrients coming in? Are your, Do you even know what your nutrient levels are before you do something like a detox? Like, yeah, you can clean up your diet and things like that and can, and call that a detox. And I, I'm actually a pretty big fan of like, you know, cutting back on sugar and alcohol and eating really whole foods. That's great. Um, but you know, you're, you have to make sure that your body's in a place that it can actually do its job and you're not just, you know, making things worse or at, at, at best, it's not doing anything. And at worst, it's actually hurting. Yeah. And then if you take the the powders that exist on the market, there's all types of various detoxification powders that have various sweeteners in there. So here you have this candida patient, they're going to subsist for a few days exclusively on this powder that has a sweetener in it. Or, or you'll get the people who make the lemonade mixture, which has honey in it. Honey has honey's high in fructose. Honey is a is a miracle food, but it's high in fructose. Fructose feeds candida, so this person is fasting on foods that are feeding their candida. Then, unfortunately, they confuse they confuse detoxing with the fact their candida is worse. They're saying, oh, yeah, I broke out in this rash. It was all these toxins coming out of me. It's not really what happened. What happened is you were giving your candida all this honey, and the candida spread. And it, got, it made you really toxic, and you broke out in a rash. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, when everybody says, oh, I, I, you know, I had this rash, and that means all the toxins were coming out, I was like, oh, no. That's not, that's not how it works. No, that's true. Yeah, I, I see. I see. I see on your face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have pretty strong opinion. I have pretty strong opinions about stuff. <laughs> uh, okay. So we've really gone through all of my questions and I feel like we've hit all the major like topics that I think people would really have questions on. Is there anything else you would like to add for people, you know, who might be struggling with this and want to explore this or they've been diagnosed and they're coming now they're coming into it with maybe clear eyes, like, Anything else you'd want to share with them? Well, there, there are so many mistakes that can be made in treating candida that it's incredible. It took me years to unravel it. As I chronicled it in my in my book, I would um, really encourage people to get my, if they're being treated for candida, that they get my book before they go in to see the doctor. And this way they can read they can read my experiences of what worked and what didn't work, and they can hear what the doctor has to say, and they could make uh, draw their opinions on that. I will second that. Your your like I said, your book was such an eye opener for me, and um, it it really did explain it in such a great way and a very multifaceted look you know, from by all these different directions. And I, I just really, really appreciated the way that you explained it. Um, 
you know, the information that you shared and the why behind it. And, you know, and it was just really, really helpful. So I will make sure that I have a link to your book in the show notes so that people can definitely go into that. And, you know, we all have to make our own decisions, but I believe in being educated and being educated Mm -hmm. by people who, who've really studied it and really, and, and treat it consistently. It's not just a small piece of what they do, but they've really, really worked it. Um, you know, medicine's a practice, so everybody has a slightly different approach, but I find that the people who really focus on it tend to get more and more uniform in the approach. True. So we can list some of these points to be on, on guard for. First of all, there's not, uh, not rotating your antifungals. Big problem. Another one is giving the person lots of vitamins and supplements while they're trying to kill the candida with the antivirals. Big problem. Next is putting probiotics at the front front of the list. Probiotics aren't given on my uh, candida program until about the sixth month. So that's six months of eliminating candida before we start introducing the probiotics. And when we introduce the probiotics, we introduce them with a whole series, maybe about seven or so prebiotics. Because once you've had candida and the probiotics have been um, compromised, to get the probiotics to come back takes a little more effort. So you have to make sure you have a full gamut of prebiotics there so that the probiotics are assisted in re-inoculating and being able to stick back in the um, intestinal tract. And as far as the probiotic you're taking, you want to make sure that the probiotic is either called human strain or sticky strain. That's something you might have to ask the manufacturer for because not all probiotics are sticky strain or human strain. And if they're not, it means they don't really stick to your gut lining. So another I did, I another did not issue. know that. No, that's an, ind- it's an industry term, sticky strain. Um, technically it's called human strain, but the, as a, I guess as a, a slang, they call it sticky strain. So if it's not sticky strain, they don't stick and they, they end up going probiotics when you take them as long as they're in your intestinal tract will lower the ph of the intestines and the person will feel better because typically the candida patient has a ph intestinally of over 7.4 the range um the an expected normal range is 6 to 7.2 and the candida patients are usually 7.4 7.7 something like that so the probiotic, as long as it's in your gut, will bring the pH down into the functional range. But then once it passes out, it's all over. And the idea is you want to put the probiotics back and have them stay there. You, you know, it's similar to your lawn. When you when you have a lawn, you put the grass seed down, right? And then you start putting the fertilizer or the grass food there. You don't keep putting seed every day. You put the seeds there. You put stuff there to help them grow. You water it. And then that's it. I love that explanation. The gut's no difference. I mean, it's, it's still, it's no different. It's gar- it's gardening of a different sort, but that's what you, you want to be looking at in, in this situation. So there's a, as far as the probiotics, those are different areas where people can go wrong. Is you don't put the probiotics in there first. I've had patients always ask me that I have, I'm, I'm a obnoxious person sometimes they'll say well what do i do with my probiotics should i be taking probiotics at this time and i'll say yeah well you've been taking the probiotics all along here right they haven't helped they say yeah but i know but i read this and that i say well you can take the probiotic and go to the bathroom and then open up the cap and pour it directly in the toilet and that probably will be a more direct route than if you continue to take it and waste money just throw it right in the toilet 
because it's not going to it's not going to do anything until you get the candida down. The whole goal of any candida program is to lower the the dysbiosis, lower the candida enough to where the probiotics take. That's the whole in a nutshell. The whole goal. Awesome. So I think those are, those are some of the real key points that people now, if they read my book, they're going to learn everything that I learned that I did wrong and that I learned from other doctors that were doing it wrong. And then they'll read about how I figured out to do it the correct way. So that sort of saves you a lot of time. But in the meanwhile, these are the big point, major points that will, uh, that will doom a candida program if these points aren't followed. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me again. This was everything I wanted and more. (laughs) I appreciate it so much. And I will be sure to share uh, with everybody in the show notes, how to get in contact with you, how to get your book and, you know, go from there. So thank you again. You're more than welcome. And we can do another one in the future. We can actually pick a particular illness, which is caused by candida and pick that one apart. Uh, Yes. Let's do it. Let's get it on the calendar now. (laughs) Okay, you got it. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. If you found this episode helpful, would you do me a favor and help others find it by leaving a review, sharing a screenshot on social media, or sharing the link with a friend? By you sharing what you've learned, others are able to find this podcast and join our community. Be sure to check out my website, www.roadtolivingwhole.com for over 160 delicious recipes, a variety of meal plans, and a blog packed full of even more healthy living tips. If you'd like to learn more about how to work with me as your coach, you can schedule a free consult through www.roadtolivingwhole.com backslash health-coaching backslash. Until next time, friend. Bye.